0: This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products in lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside of Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Welcome back, everybody. I'm excited to have Candace Fall with us today. She is the program director for digital and UX at Glendimplex, who make a variety of consumer goods. She's got lots of experience in fintech and digital product design. She's now working across digital and physical products and consumer packaged goods. So I'm really eager to hear how uh, all of our design philosophies translate into the physical world. Candice, how are you? Welcome to the show.
1: I'm excellent. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to dig into these topics today.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a good conversation, I'm sure. And you're joining us from, from sunny Canada.
1: <laughs> Very sunny with a, about a few inches of snow up here. It's, uh, it's hard to see the roads at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, imagine, imagine. Well, um, as I said, you know, you're now working across digital and physical products. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious given your experience with, with all the digital product design and and kind of all the trends that we see these days with design systems and kind of standardization of interfaces and the attention that we're paying to those level of detail. um, What are you seeing in, in your daily work? What's, what's happening in your world?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because there's a lot of emphasis on experience these days, which I'm very happy to see and hear. Um, but the key parts about it is that I really feel like over the past sort of decade or two, this influx and in understanding users' experience and designing for consumer needs and their behaviors has really been brought forward in more digital-related industries. Although I think consumer packaged goods and physical products have always had some very clear methodologies and how they tackle great design for, for human needs. I think that there is a lot of influence coming from those digital and technology industries that are driving quicker progression of those development cycles and really putting that consumer or that user at the center of everything we think about.
0: Yeah. So the the kind of the human first or the user centered design philosophies that we've been using in digital for a long time. Um, it sounds like we're starting to see that in some physical product design as well.
1: Absolutely. I think when we look at designing, especially in technology, but absolutely in some industries. You know, my industry, especially for you know heating and home products, there's a big emphasis on the engineering aspect of it. So whether you're a computer engineer of some sort or you're a mechanical or electrical engineer, whatever you may be, there's a lot that goes into the consideration, but now it's not just about one subject matter expertise that's focused on designing a product. It's bringing in the collaboration of so many different subject matter experts. So anyone from obviously researchers architects, customer service, people that have the voice of their user that can bring that forward. And depending, again, on your industry, you know, something in in fintech, not only are you actually bringing possible advisors or brokers to the table, but you're actually bringing consumers to the table to help you through your design processes, Mm -hmm. That's really great to hear. It's really great to see this change and how these two different, what I like to call verticals of, of digital and physical really start to influence each other as the expectations of consumers and their behaviors kind of all feed into one.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by is you know, the design of a physical product is um, it's obviously more difficult because once you create a physical product, it's harder to change. Right. We have the benefit in digital of being able to change things, you know, with just another software release. But if you get the design of a physical product wrong, it's a lot more difficult to 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 fix that. And so the collaboration across engineering and um, you know, all the different disciplines that are involved uh, is super important to get it right, and so you uh, so you don't make those costly mistakes. So I'm curious what you've seen in terms of that collaboration, like you mentioned a moment ago, about how physical product design collaboration has started to influence digital product design and the way that we collaborate with each other.
1: Yes. I happen to love this topic. Um, it's you know one of the major projects that I looked at uh, coming into Glen Dimplex originally is how do we become more efficient with our product design cycle? And how do we understand something that might fail so much earlier in the design process? I think this is a perfect example of where digital capabilities to the physical aspects of design start to mesh together. And I love the fact that we're living in this era right now because digital and technology makes things so much more accessible to us. Mm-hmm. we taking some of the design practices in more of an agile um, type design process where you really work on low fidelity conceptual design starting from an idea and progress that forward through rapid prototype testing all the Mm -hmm. way till you get to your minimum viable product. Not only can you do that with physical products, but then when you're constrained um, in order to get your product in front of someone or you don't have the actual materials to build it, there's no reason why you can't bring these two worlds together. So we've actually developed a process that works from ideation all the way to delivering something to market and then an iterative cycle of how we tweak it based on customer feedback and use. Mm -hmm. And I think the key parts is at that beginning where how do you take an idea to a concept, to a physical prototype? So using different types of tools online through unmoderated testing of just the concepts and ideas. It's really about problem identification and what the need is that we're trying to design for and using anything from media to interviews to even diary studies of observational research of how people go about doing their daily tasks that we might look at and say, oh, hey, there's something that a user probably wouldn't tell us, but we've observed and we need to build that into our product and retest that with them Mm -hmm. in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. So I really like this emergence of the digital technology giving us those early onset conceptual platforms to be able to test something before we actually put some physical product and materials together and build that prototype. And even once we do, with the ability to launch videos or when we're talking a physical um, fireplace with an app, we can have a prototype of an app and have the user actually clicking throughout the functions of the app to see Mm -hmm. what alternatively comes up as a reactive, feature on the fireplace and see how people react to that. Does that meet their expectations?
0: Right. Right. And so that's a, you know, probably depending on the difficulty of the task or the complexity of the application, like that could be a lengthy process and it's definitely a a very detailed process. How do you keep that efficient? Like how do you like use that again and again? So your teams can continue to work efficiently.
1: Uh, It's an excellent question because I think regardless of where you sit in an organization, you're always looking for repeatable processes and you're looking for things that you can scale with too, as your business grows, as your consumer demands grow, et cetera. And so the efficiency part is still part of that trial and error and it is being agile. So it's not thinking too far ahead of things. One thing that's always really important when I work with my teens is talking about, let's document the things that we know. Let's talk about the things that we think we know or the assumptions that we're making. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really healthy conversation to have because people are really scared to make assumptions. Mm -hmm. But if we talk about the assumptions, it allows us to understand what our focus is in what we need to test or what we might actually be wrong. And I think that's the first part is being open to being wrong, to fail. And I mean, I think we've heard a lot around the idea of around fast fail and fail early. But in order to do that, I go back to my point where it's not just around one subject matter expert. It's bringing together so many different cross-functional people that have different perspectives to really open up those assumptions and drive the priorities of how we go about testing and building.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'd like to dig into that a little bit further if we want.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's an interesting topic because a lot of the conversations that we're having with, with clients um, is revolves around um, design operations Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and that means different things to a few different people. So the way we define it is how does your team function to accomplish their design objectives? And the biggest thing that we're seeing is the teams who are willing to adopt a more Socratic culture, where their um, the the believability of an idea is weighted by the experience of the person who brought it to the table, and people are willing to ask the question, "What are we missing here?" Like, "What what should, help me understand what I don't know?" And it's you mentioned being open to being wrong, and um, in, in our experience, we're seeing that the teams that are um, open to learning what they don't know and enhancing their knowledge with the knowledge of somebody who has more experience in that area are the teams who are more effective. So I'm curious how you've seen that play out with your teams, you know, as opposed to driving for consensus, like driving for um, expanding the knowledge rather than trying to get something everyone can agree upon.
1: Absolutely. I think if you consider... Something that you do, whether it be at work or at home, as sort of your daily task, maybe it's, you know, getting settled into your day and you do your typical, I'm going to check my email, I'm going to check my calendar and what it is that you go through. You have certain system tasks that become innate in your behavior. You create hacks for those things that are maybe a little bit more challenging for you And then what the complication about creating those hacks is that if you have a certain process you go through within your business, but you have similar people that have a role that go through another process, they've also created their own hacks. Mm -hmm. So the point I'm trying to make is the process that you're going through is probably only repeatable to yourself and you're not actually seeing the problems because you've created those hacks to overcome the challenges that you've had, but it's different for everybody else. Mm -hmm. The key thing to looking at designing a better process, designing a better product or an experience is bringing together all those people who do the same tasks that have developed the different hacks and share with each other. And so when I talk about that cross-functional or even just collaborating on design it's bringing all those perspectives together and when we talk about failing fast it's actually flipping it to the positive to say what are those opportunities I didn't know about it's changing that perspective Mm -hmm. and that's the benefit of working together and more collaborative teams to be able to move that forward now how you apply that in a process in itself is similar to the problem that you're actually probably trying to identify and solve
0: Right, right. Yeah, I'm glad you hit on this because it, that's another one of the things that um, is kind of a hot topic is if you've got all these people from different departments in the organization, and they each have you know, their own, their own hacks. I love the idea of, of bringing together your hacks and talking about how you how you do things. Um, if those people are, are uh, they have different objectives for their departments, how do you keep them all aligned? So is there an overarching objective or how do you, how do you keep them um, uh, where they're working towards a common goal and they, and they don't compete with each other to get their own departmental goals done?
1: It can absolutely be hard for sure. Um, I think the real key thing to focus on is that team dynamic. So there's a bit of a hierarchy as you look for that objective that you're trying to achieve as a team. And I think it's really important for everyone to sign up for and agree to it. So it's a statement, whether it's the, how might we do this for this type of user that we have in our, our organization, or more of a goal source associated with achievement. We all want to achieve this for us within our organization. It's something that right off the bat, like in your kickoff, you need to get everybody signed up for. We call those almost like building your triple A class partners, because whatever you're building over there in engineering and you're building over there in customer service and what your objectives are, I want to help you achieve that goal. And I want you to help me achieve that goal. And I think that's the second level. It's everybody wants to know the what's in it for me, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: whether it's a personal agenda for Achievement or career development, um, or to say that I've built this thing and I've got that under my belt, or to make myself look good in front of my boss or my peers. But it's learning about what everyone else's objective is. And that's no different than trying to build for a user. It's about the empathy. So working within your teams, trying to focus on what that overarching goal is for the organization. You want to build the empathy for each other in order to achieve that.
0: So, is there an activity that you've seen to be effective to do that? Is that something that happens in the kickoff meeting? How do you like? I guess like in a practical way, like how do you do that?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting because when you look at design systems and processes, let's start with the process. Um, I'm a huge advocate of IDOs. Um, five step design thinking process, and it mm-hmm. starts with building empathy. And part of building empathy is obviously in in terms of like how your product life cycle design goes. That's one thing, but you have to go through um, building with your team to start. And so when you go into a kickoff process. Um, Sometimes it's not something that you can do very quickly. And I think it's really important to be able to spend the time focused on the people as much as you're focused on the project and the objective. So it's a matter of bringing familiarity to each other. I work in a lot of teams across the globe that have never met each other. And I'm talking not met each other in person, but not even met each other via a screen interface like an email. And so if I don't know who you are or what you want, then I'm probably gonna operate on this project in a bit more of a silo. So the process I typically take in in a kickoff meeting is to be a little bit silly. you know, Bring something in that can be like a common ground for people to share that's completely off topic. I did a kickoff recently where I had everyone share their favorite type of pizza and toppings on a pizza. And the way we ended up rounding it out as a team in the end is i ended up sending pizza out to everybody around the globe and we had a pizza celebration lunch all together on a zoom call and the cool thing about that is when you have those different checkpoints knowing what people are working for and knowing what delights people when you're asking them to pull like a 16 or 18 hour day in order to meet a timeline on a project we're doing it together And you're sharing in those very specific needs where if I know you can't get something done, because, hey, your kids have been like learning at home and you've got to feed them and you're just exhausted, we're going to take the burden from you and we're going to continue to run with it because we're Mm -hmm. all in this together.
0: Yeah. So would you say that you have to build empathy in the team, amongst all the different team members before you can even begin building empathy for the customer and the, and the problem you're trying to solve?
1: Absolutely. And I go back to that question that you asked around, you know, like, what is your, your process for, for a kickoff or how, how would you do that? It's going around the table and just giving people space and time to share so that you can build that empathy. It's asking them, why are you here? Like, why, why do you want to work on this project? What are you interested in and what you start to learn quite quickly is people start to share pain points, pain Mm -hmm. points, whether it's based on a product they know or how they go about developing a product. So the process itself, or maybe they have interactions with your actual end users or consumers that they can bring those things forward.
0: So once you've got that empathy with the team, um, and you understand, like your customer service person who's like really you know, feeling pain because they can't help a customer solve something, and you've got an engineer who is just really fixated on like finding the the most elegant solution to some technical challenge, and so on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Once you've established that and you've got the empathy, the inter-team empathy, if you will, and then you're able to get that team functioning, how do you ensure that that team continues to function efficiently? as they're solving different types of, of product design challenges.
1: Mm -hmm. It's giving everyone equal opportunity to do similar things at every stage of the process. So an example could be if engineering is moving through some of their challenges, although you might you might think okay if i'm if i'm looking at this code or i'm looking at you know this physical product and i'm trying to figure out you know how to get the right type of heat output from here with the type of power that i'm i'm putting into it um it's it comes down to those perspectives and it comes mm-hmm. down to also asking others to be part of solving the problem and creating the solution mm-hmm. and, and the dynamics in a team are no different than I think like your user base too.
0: What's interesting, the the theme that I'm hearing evolve out of this is that, you know, team efficiency and good problem solving are much more of a, a, of a cultural emotional um, challenge than a technical challenge. Like we could install processes all day, but if the team doesn't work together, then you're never going to achieve that efficiency and the kind of the elegance and solution design. That we're all looking for
1: i agree with that statement i think everything really breaks down to people processes and tools and it starts with people if you don't have the people there's no way to kick off a process
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and design a process and in order to do a process you need to have a tool but you need the people to use the tool so i like to think that let's start with the people and sometimes you don't have the right people. I you know I'm talking about building these like AA or AAA class partners as part of your team so that you're supporting each other. You're all focused on a common objective or goal together. But there's also such thing as that Zed. You could have a Zed partner and they're really not a partner. They're a detractor. Mm-hmm. And as a team, you need to call those people out and talk about why are you not on board with this? Why are you detracting away from the objective, from the goal, from, be, from working together? And sometimes it's a hard thing, but you have to just exit the Z from your team. They're just right. not the right fit, regardless right. of circumstances.
0: And for the Americans listening, Z being Z, the opposite end of the spectrum, yes. from your A.
1: <laughs> know your audience, right? <laughs> uh, I,
0: just wanted, I, I love talking with, with my Canadian friends. Just those <laughs> those subtle little differences in language, it, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. so back, back to your point is, you, know, you might have somebody on the team who's just not a fit for whatever reason. It doesn't mean that they're a, a bad person. It just means that they're not a fit for that team and that challenge. And identifying that is critical to making sure that the rest of the team can continue to function.
1: Yes. And when we talk about designing for efficiency, it is about systems and processes. But as we're getting into, it is a lot about the people because inefficiency comes from the detractors, comes from the people who aren't pulling their weight or who don't really care or haven't explicitly outlined the what's in it for me. Like, why are you part of this project? Mm -hmm. And so I think working in more of those agile, collaborative, daily connection, open communication um, ways, it allows you to identify things early. So if it's, hey, this person has kind of been letting us down, it gives you an opportunity to tackle the problem right away. And again, it's no different than designing a product and failing fast, learning quickly, being able to pivot and go. You might say, there's something going on beneath the surface that this isn't efficiency for the team or our process. So we need to rejig the people.
0: Right, yeah. So by going through those those exercises and and the, the process of building empathy with the team, it helps you find who those people are that might not be a fit for that project and identify them so that the rest of the team can continue to function efficiently. Yeah. yeah.
1: Transparency and honesty is really the baseline of that. And yeah. when I talk about repeatability too, is if you're able to take a team, bring them together, collaborate cross-functionally and build your understanding in developing that empathy just to start, that is your beginning Of being able to repeat that across so many other types of projects that you can spin up multiple things going on within a business of cross-functional cross-functional people so it's not that waterfall linear line anymore of just siloed approaches it's it's really that collaboration bringing it all together and having that human understanding
0: right Right. So it's, uh, it's a Friday as we're recording this. So it's kind of a, a appropriate way to, to position the question. So for someone who's listening and they're thinking about um, going back to their team and what they're going to do Monday morning, what would you advise that someone who has a team that's maybe not operating as effectively and efficiently as they could, what would you do Monday morning to help get them back on track?
1: I'd start a conversation by bringing everyone together that's on your team or on your, on your project team and have a bit of like a show and tell check in. How are things going? What are you looking to achieve as being part of this project? What excites you? What as part of this project or as part of this team have you uncovered as sort of like those aha moments, something you didn't realize before that might bring inspiration to others. Ask those questions that we don't actually ask on a daily basis and have everyone share. And I would start to bring some of those checkpoints in throughout the timeline of your project or just as a regular checkpoint in with your team Mm -hmm. and then start to bring in that idea of playing back. People want to be heard. So it's playing things back. And then that also gives you those opportunities. If you need to have a one-on-one with someone else and say, I heard that you know, you're really excited in doing this. I don't think you're going to achieve that in this project. Would you be interested in working on something else?
0: Hmm. Yeah. 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 Some tough conversations probably, but um, ultimately, you know, if the people aren't doing the things that the people need to do, then no amount of process or anything else is going to fix it. Right. So
1: absolutely get the Mm -hmm. people
0: on track, get your culture pointing in the right direction and uh, then efficiency will come from that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you can't bring in the efficiency of of processes if people aren't willing to do it, right? Or adoption of tools in order to do that either. So I think that's a baseline of developing really great products because what you do in your teams is what you should be doing with your users as well.
0: Right, couldn't agree more. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think that's a, a great place to wrap up, and we're, since we're almost out of time, um, Candace, thank you so much. This has been uh, a great conversation, and um, even even though it was not exactly the the answer that I think some people might be looking for, people are looking for like a, a quick you know push button solution to things, um, mm-hmm. I believe you're 100 percent correct that getting the team aligned and and working together as a as a unit is far more important than any kind of um, you know agile or or any other process you can install. Absolutely. Great. That's- well, so if someone wants to reach out and, uh, and chat with you about this or um, uh, follow you on the socials or, or whatever, what's the best way to get in touch?
1: I am a huge LinkedIn user. So I'm on there every single day, multiple times a day. And it's the really basis of my networking. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to connect and chat about anything further.
0: Awesome. And we'll post a link to your profile in the show notes. Uh, so everyone can reach out and um, follow Candace, follow what she's working on. Um, you know, again, appreciate the conversation, super insightful. And um, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks, Jay. Really enjoyed today. That's it for
0: today. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out how they can help improve your digital products at ninelabs.com. Have comments, questions, or an idea you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us at the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email and tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, good design is good business.